Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host Clayton Fletcher. First things first, I want to apologize for the lack of episode last week. You guys, I have basically spoiled you. I think we've done an episode in 57 of the last 60 weeks, but last week was one of the three that we missed, partly because it was the 11th anniversary of Tournament Poker Edge and we were all partying like it's 1999 so that's what's going on uh you might hear a familiar voice already on the on the podcast but let me give him uh, a proper formal introduction he actually needs no introduction he is a favorite on this podcast as well as pretty much every other poker podcast i can think of he is a tournament poker edge success story who has gone on to a great success and we are so proud of him please welcome back to the show the homeless poker player himself carlos welch carlos how you been i've been great i've been great yeah good, good to be back <laughs> good are you still homeless i am i am <laughs> now for those who might be somehow unfamiliar with you uh tell us what this whole po- homeless poker player thing is actually all about um so basically I used to own a home, but <laughs> once I decided to take uh, poker seriously and do it full time, I realized I would be on the road a lot. So um, I wasn't too keen on paying a mortgage for an empty house. So I first started, I, kinda, I guess I'm kind of going full circle, circle here, because I, when I first left my house, I was living in like an extended stay hotel and i did that for a while because if i if i'm not in town i don't have to pay like the mortgage um so i did that and then a couple years later i just realized like everything i'm doing in this hotel i can do from a van so i basically bought a van and moved into it in 2015. um so i did that for a while and then Man, I guess it's been like a year and a half now. I um, bought a Prius, and um, I've been doing it with in the Prius um, over the past year and a half. But the reason I say full circle is because I saved so much money not paying rent and mortgages over those years, and poker's doing a lot better. I actually have like a decent amount of disposable income. So now I kind of find myself staying in hotels again, but this time it's just out of abundance as opposed to trying to save like it was in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea that you used to stay in a van and you were like, you know, I don't need all this much space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is just this is too much space. I, I should get a smaller vehicle to live in. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And, and I've been amazed at how much stuff I've been able to uh, travel with in that Prius. Now, I should say it's not like the um, standard Prius. This is called a Prius V. Oh. So it's um, slightly bigger. Um, but, yeah, it's it's um, not as roomy as the van. The van was a little too much space. The, the Prius is, is about um, perfect for a human. Yeah, so you have basically taken the minimalist lifestyle to the extreme. And, you know, a lot of us kind of heard your story probably back around 2015, which is when I guess you started kind of getting on the map uh, in poker and especially poker podcasts where we started hearing the story of this guy that was like saving every possible penny, eating like beans out of a can for dinner uh you know learning how to drive without using as much gas as other people and all of these kind of penny pinching techniques that on one hand we admire but on the other hand we kind of found amusing 
Uh, yes. But now here you are all these years later, and like you said, you have a certain amount of abundance. You can actually splurge on a hotel now and then. So what does that feel like? Feels great, man. It feels great. And I kind of teased um, something before we started um, before we started recording. Um, right now, I'm... So if there's any other poker players that do a bit of traveling. So, uh, Clayton, you're kind of in this boat. Um, when at least how much traveling, of course, before the pandemic, outside of WSOP, like how much traveling do you do for poker? Oh, yeah, probably four or five months out of the year. Yeah, so constantly on the road. Now, I don't know about you. You play a little bit higher than I do. So for people like me who travel a lot and would like to get hotel rooms, uh, it's really nice to have a diamond card. But when you're a nit like me, I'm not going to be in the um, slot machine area. Yeah, (laughs) slot machines or the craps table. So I've never had access to a diamond card. But I but I've run across a promotion that's going on right now where low low limit grinders that travel a lot like myself can easily earn a diamond card. So I want to give this little hot tip to anybody that happens to be in uh, my shoes. Yeah, gra- grab a piece of paper and a pencil, everybody. <laughs> Carlos is about to give you some knowledge. Yes. So um, basically all you have to do is – Stay in um, hotels under the Wyndham Hotel family. And um, this year, it only takes 24 nights um, to get diamond status under uh, Wyndham. And once you get that, they'll match it. Caesars will match it. So um, I've been bouncing around staying at, you know, pretty cheap. Uh, Wyndham Hotels, like a uh, um, Super 8 or Travel Lodge or Ramada. Uh, they got various types for, you know, big spenders like Clayton. So you can, you can get something a little <laughs> bit more high end than But <laughs> all it takes, 24 nights, and you get diamond status. And on top of that, they're running a promotion where if you stay three nights, you get a night free. So I've I, I think I'm averaging something like forty forty five bucks a night. Once you include the thirty night twenty four nights, that will finally, after all these years, earn me a diamond card. Which, if you don't travel like me, is not worth it. Um, but uh, you know, I'm around in cheap hotels anyway. In between, you know, nights staying in the car. So this is like. Uh, icing on a cake it's almost like a free diamond card for me wow so now for those who don't know what are the benefits of having a diamond card anyway like why would i want to get a diamond card i'm glad you asked the reason i in particular want to get a diamond card and other poker players should is that when you do go to vegas say like in october when they're having this delayed wsop right right uh you can stay in the um, Caesars hotel rooms without paying the resort fee. Wow. Now, now for some of you who haven't been to Vegas in years, you may not know what a resort fee is because I didn't know what it was until I went to Vegas. I never heard of this anywhere else. But they basically advertise the hotel rooms pretty cheaply. But then they add an additional fee on top of the room that a lot of times is sometimes it can be even more expensive than the, the price of the room. And that's supposed to um, give you access to like the pool and the gym and the um, Internet where um, but it's mandatory. So um, if I can tell you one of the things I'm looking forward to. So the Rio is what a WSOP is going to be. Uh, once I get this diamond card, I can book five weekday nights at the Rio for probably around $150 total for all five nights. Now, if you had to pay a resort fee on top of that, it would probably be another $150 to $200 on top of it. So 
Um, the big benefit for me is I'm not just in Vegas in hotels during the WSOP. I'm there all year. So if I can save $30, a $30 resort fee every night over the course of the year, this car, I'm going to get a lot of value out of this car. Like I do everything else in life. Yeah. Well, look, look, when, when somebody like Carlos says, Hey, everybody, I'm going to tell you about something you should do that's worthwhile. That's going to save you money. Uh, you're an idiot not to listen because Carlos is the king of finding every possible angle of how to save money. I'm, I'm not kidding. You can listen to previous episodes where we talked about how people drive where they don't use as much gas because they find ways to like keep the car more in neutral <laughs> so that they can just yeah. go downhill and things like that. Like, you know, how much money do you end up saving? But the, I guess the idea is if you do it every time, you do end up saving money over the long run it's like the, it's like the large sample size like how many times you're going to press your your gas pedal in your car <laughs> yeah so when you said you had a hot tip for us i was all ears so yeah thank you for sharing that and in your case you were going to stay at those super eights anyway so it really is uh you're not even having to make any changes and now you're finally going to qualify for that elusive diamond card see see here's the difference before i would have stayed in laughlin which is like two hours south of vegas and, you know, they got little um, local hotels, um, casinos down there with hotels attached to them. And those rooms are running me around $30, $35 a night. So for an extra 5 to $10 a night, um, I can earn this diamond car, which allows me to now stay in the real Vegas. Like, Laughlin is like the fake Vegas. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to earn this car so I can, like, stay in the Rio for uh, Laughlin prices. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I know some of our listeners are like, imagine being so excited to stay at the Rio. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. that The Rio is, I mean, if you think about that, you know, my daily life is a super eight. The Rio is a pretty big step up from that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all relative, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's great. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I will be very happy to uh, have this on this podcast until you make the final table at the WSOP and then we all see all the Wyndham patches all over you. Because it turns out <laughs> yeah. you're actually working for them now. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they announced this week that. Uh, the WSOP main event is not going to be on ESPN anymore. It's now moving to CBS Sports Network. Um, do you get CS, CBS Sports Network in your Prius? Um, is that just like regular CBS channel? No, it's a is separate it? network. It's kind of like Fox Sports as opposed to Fox. Um, I doubt it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> that actually sounds like a uh, a joke, but I, I took it serious because I actually do have TV in my Prius. Through, yeah, no, uh, it was a joke. I didn't realize you had. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I guess you. Of course, you have internet and stuff. So yeah, I guess you can watch TV on your computer, right? Yeah, I have YouTube TV. YouTube so, TV. Okay. Uh, through that, I do get all the local channels, so I get regular CBS, but I doubt. I get this um, fancy CBS. Yeah, I think you have to pay for Paramount Plus, which is like five dollars and ninety nine cents a month. So obviously you're not going to be doing that. That's no, just that's way too much money to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not only that is like I don't watch any other stuff, so I wouldn't get the value out of it. Once we all started uh, getting rid of our cable operators then all these other networks came up to compete with netflix and amazon prime and everything else so this is just yet another late entry into that uh competition but yeah i, I think it'll be interesting to see you know i've always associated the wsop with espn i'd like to see what kind of changes are going to be made um we are with the new platform and what the viewership will be like because as we all know viewership has kind of been declining or at least not improving year over year uh, for the last several years. Not not counting, of course, last year's ridiculous, you know, play half of it online and then the final mm-hmm. table in Vegas and some people couldn't go because they tested positive, whatever else, <laughs> whatever else was going on with that. You know, I've always thought, you know, it kind of goes together. ESPN's World Series of Poker. Well, not anymore. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of football. 
And whenever my favorite team was playing on CBS instead of Fox, I couldn't even watch it. <laughs> like the, the production value between the two, it, like the CBS games felt so boring. Now, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm a pretty older guy. So when I was younger, AFC was like the, uh, weaker of the two conferences. And usually the NFC games were on Fox and it was more exciting. This was when like the, the Cowboys were like really crushing, um, the NFL. And, um, man, AFC was just like, ugh, it was like an old man's channel. I mean, um, <laughs> CBS felt like an old man's channel. Right, so right. I, I hope 2021 CBS isn't like 1995 CBS. Yeah, I hope not too. And especially like we're trying to attract uh, the the type of viewers that normally would watch poker. Uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't have any information yet. This just came out. So yep. I mean, obviously, Poker Go is still they have their deal with with WSOP. But this will just be another. And there's also going to be streaming. So I guess more information on this as it happens. But yeah, in previous years, Carlos, you and I. We'd be doing an episode right now about, you know, what are you going to be playing next month when we get to Vegas for the World Series of Poker? Instead, we're going to be waiting until basically the end of September uh, for things to get started. They are doing all the online events, but you have to be in certain states to play them uh, and all that. So where are, where are you located these days? Are you in are you in Vegas now? No, right now I'm um, in California, um, not San Diego. I'm like halfway between San Diego, San Diego and Vegas in Barstow because that's where I found my little cheap hotels while, that I'm bouncing back and forth around in uh, to earn that diamond card. But as soon as I stay my 24 days, I will be back in Vegas at the Rio. Right, right, because you'll have the you'll have the diamond card, and you won't have to pay resort fees, and so you can pretty much uh, pay very little to stay in such an exquisite residence as the Rio All Suite <laughs> Resort. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, I, you know, and I'm not trying to be uh, snobby about it or anything. You know, I'm just playing around. But uh, it is funny to me that you've gotten accustomed to such a no frills lifestyle that. Uh, it's exciting for you to, to be uh, looking forward to moving into the Rio because all I hear all summer is complaints from players who choose to stay at the Rio to be close to the action. Uh, you know, how much this hotel sucks. I'm like, well, talk to Carlos. You know, it's better than a van. I've, I've always wondered what the <laughs> hell those people were talking about because uh, I guess other people just have different realities than me. Uh, but I do, I do know a lot of those people – uh, I think they kind of complain about the Rio because it's the thing to do. Uh, but they, I've seen other places they stay, and it wasn't that much better than the Rio. In fact, a lot of those places are worse than the Rio. And a lot of people that I know are pretty well off, and they seem to be pretty happy with the Rio. Like, how much better is the Rio really? I mean, how much worse is the Rio really than, like, Palms or the aria like once you're in the room it's a bed and a tv who gives a damn <laughs> <laughs> it's a bed and a tv that's it that's it i yeah i guess your reality is is definitely <laughs> different from other people myself included like to me i would i would rather pay a thousand dollars a night to not have to stay at the rio because <laughs> I, I can't stand all the smoke I, it's mostly the say, cigarettes really that's really what i hate the most about the rio is as soon as i walk in i feel like all i can smell is cigarettes and other hotels have once uh, you're in the room right 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 that's what you're saying once you get into your hotel room what's the difference right got yeah. it i will say the one and only time in my life that i ever have and probably ever will be in a hotel room at the Wynn was doing an interview with you. So you're the only person I know that's baller enough to get a room at the Wynn. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot we did that. Yeah, you, you seem to like that room a lot. <laughs> yeah, but you know what was in there? A bed and a TV. A bed and a TV. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Yeah. I tricked myself into thinking that's actually going to help me sleep better, being in a more comfortable bed in a better hotel 
somehow like I'm going to get better sleep. The one time I didn't and I stayed at Bally's, uh, we all know how that turned out. I got I got burglarized and then never compensated. So uh, that, I'll probably always stay in nice hotels after that experience. But yeah, I gave I gave it I gave it a shot one time. And uh, we see how that turned out for me. All right. Well, I know you have some projects that you're working on with Andrew Brokus and um, some other stuff that you mentioned to me um, with with our friend Alex Fitzgerald. And I want to let you talk about all of that kind of right at the end so that we can like get all your plugs in for all the different things you're working on. But um, kind of for those who might be a little less familiar with you, what part did Tournament Poker Edge play in your development, uh, helping you get from aspiring poker player to homeless poker player to diamond member that you are now. (laughs) (laughs) So my journey with TPE actually started right at the beginning when TPE started. So we are, you mentioned, you know, 11 years in um, with the um, um, uh, TPE started, uh, I think a year, like a year before Black Friday. So we just had the 10 year anniversary anniversary of Black Friday, which meant the 11 year anniversary of TPE. So back in back at that time in 2010, I was just transitioning from playing sit and goes. So I started around 2003, 2004 playing sit and goes on party poker and um, poker stars one uh, single table sit and goes and over like the next five years or so those games started to get tougher because you'd be at a nine-man table and there would be seven regulars and only two fish and so you know i got the advice to start playing 18 mans and then eventually 45 mans 180 mans and uh, once you get to 180 mans it's basically a tournament and so um, somebody told me about this new training site that was teaching people how to play tournaments. So I signed up for TPE um, right at the beginning, like I said, in 2010 when they started uh, watching Big Dog talk about how to beat the 180-mans was like a big help for me when I was making that transition. But then, unfortunately, right as they were getting their feet wet, uh, the U.S. government had other ideas and basically shut everything down and so when they did i thought you know poker was done and um killing bird and i always joke about how i canceled my tpe membership when that happened because i thought poker was over um but then like a year after black friday um somehow i learned about these little um like American sites that were popping up. Um, um, Lock Poker was one. I, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, luckily for me, I think that one was kind of like on the way out by the time I kind of discovered that, you know, these rogue American sites were a thing. The one that really, um, that I really um, put in volume on was Carbon Poker. And so, I went back to Carbon. I was going to, like, you know, fire up the sitting goes again. But for whatever reason, at that time, we're talking, like, 2012, 11 or 12, um, sit were kind of, like, not a thing anymore. You couldn't get volume, and when you did, the, composition, the competition was so tough. So I was like, okay, I guess the only thing they're offering are, is, like, tournaments. I never re- – I, I was never interested in cash games, so – um, I was like, okay, I, I, you know, I played the 180 man's. I'll try these tournaments. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, that was that site that was helping with helping me with tournaments. Maybe I'll try them again. So uh, I came back to TPE and you came uh, crawling back is what I happened. Came crawling back, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to say this was the end of 2012, and I started with like two dollar tournaments. You would play a two dollar tournament. And first place might be like $27 and you felt like you were on top of the world. Yeah. And, um, yeah, watch the videos and, um, you can actually still go in the TPE forums and find a link. Uh, uh, I basically documented 
my entire first year as a semi-professional, which was 2013. I would do weekly updates and you can see my bankroll grow from like, you know, the $2 games up to by the end of that year. Um, um, I was, um, playing like, you know, 109s and then probably like a year later, I was in the main event. Uh, of course, you know, sold a lot of action, but still to go from $2 tournaments to the main event, um, that was a big deal. And basically TPE was the thing that got me started on that journey. So I'm very thankful and grateful that, um, TPE didn't fall when all the other, um, poker companies, um, folded around Black Friday. Absolutely. So now you uh, you were playing two dollar tournaments then. What kind of stuff are you playing now? Are you really busy online? Yeah. So right now I'm playing on Ignition, and I'll play whatever they run. So like thousand dollar tournaments, um, they run those probably. Um, I would say at least once or twice a month, and I always play those. Uh, my ABI right now is probably around 150 to 175, somewhere in that range. That's really high for an online player. I mean, it's hard to find too many sites where you can get your ABI that high without playing the occasional $1,000 buy-in or, or bigger. Yeah, I think the biggest tournament I ever played online was like a $2,500 buy-in on ACR. Uh, oh, no, yeah. I think I played the $3,000 bracelet event when they had a bracelet event online. Um, but, but when we were at the Rio, like I was playing in another tournament, and I also had like my phone out playing on WSOP.com at the table. I, I missed a few hands because like whatever was going on, I think I was playing like the one drop. So the online tournament I was playing was a bigger buy-in than the... <laughs> the online tournament I was playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, that's cool. Uh, so obviously you've done well and you've always been, as you said, a knit, and that includes with your bankroll. So uh, you must be doing well to be able to play whatever is being offered on on that site. Unfortunately, in New York, I don't think I'm able to get onto Ignition Poker. Right? So sad. That used so to be sad. Bovada, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They always had us. I'm it's not sure. almost like it's 1849, and somehow you can't get to California <laughs> during the gold rush. That's how sad this is. All right. Well, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Uh, <laughs> you want to do some strategy? Did you bring any uh, any hands we can do? I got some interesting strategy for you that you probably. I'm assuming you haven't dealt with this before. I just had like a bright idea before we started. I was looking for hands, but, you know, along with the conversation we had, I've, I've basically been beating up Ignition for like, you know, the past decade. And that's where, you know, I got this nice bankroll as I move up. And as the WSOP comes around in a couple of months, I figure I'm going to be, you know, playing against some people who are actually trying to win which is something i'm not used to ignition <laughs> right <laughs> so so i'm trying to get better and in the process of getting better i'm studying gto and i'm using uh, one of the tools i'm using for this is this program called dto that dominic nietzsche um has out i don't know if you're familiar with that i'm familiar with him but not his program so it's it's basically a bot that you can play and it tells you when the hand is over how close you were to what it uh, um, says is gto so i pulled up some hands from this bot that we can kind of like play through together and see how close we can approximate gto okay that'll be fun yeah i mean i know in the beginning uh you were so nitty with your poker style that uh you were you were pretty bluffable early on. And then I you know uh, at one point we talked and you were calling yourself car loose because you had really opened up your game uh, in a, in a very meaningful way where you were no longer that nitty player anymore. Uh, how would you describe your style now? I mean, do you generally try to approximate game theory or do you have a, a style per se? No, I don't really have a style per se. And I do kind of disagree a bit that I was um, bluffable before or at least less bluffable. 
I'm more bluffable now. Really? Because, yeah, so Carlos is more about when I'm the one attacking. As soon as you fight back, I'm getting the hell out of there. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically a playground bully. Okay. All you got to do is punch me in the nose. Yeah, I'm super bluffable. So I'm not playing GTO at all in my games, but that's because on a site like Ignition. You don't need to, uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of my opponents aren't looking to exploit me. And so the best way to um, profit against these type of players is to be bluffable when they check raise the river or something like that. You know, because yeah, so. they're just never bluffing. They always have it when they do that. So you you can just go ahead and, and you know, if it's the one time out of 10,000 that the guy's actually putting a move on you, he, he just gets the pot. It's that simple. Yeah. So basically, to sum up my strategy, I would say I just do the opposite of what my opponents are doing. Yeah. So I would say the majority of the players that I play against are overly passive. So I'm overly aggressive against them. Um, hence the car loose name. Um, wide ranges and just, you know, barrel their face off in the right spots. And then there's another um, segment of the player pool that's over aggressive. And against them, I kind of basically just induce, uh, like maybe I'll throw out like a quarter pot seabed on a board where they're at range advantage. And they'll just like check, raise, bluff it off, and I'll call them down. And then, you know, the good players are somewhere in the middle. And those are the players I have trouble with. And so this program is helping me try to deal with the players that are a little bit more balanced by trying to be sort of balanced myself. Yeah, because it's hard to find ways to exploit players who are balanced. I mean, that's by definition. I I know how to beat somebody that's super bluffable. I know how to beat somebody that's too aggressive. But what about the guy that's pretty much doing what the computer would do? Well, it's like the best I can do is break even against him. So how do I do that? Yeah, exactly. So this is the test that I'm going to put us through right now. Okay. Or that, D- that DTO is going to put us through right now. So here's the situation. We are 60 bigs effective, um, six-handed cash game, and we are opening king seven of spades from the hijack. And we get called by – okay, basically every player at the table is the best player in the world. That's okay. the way you got to view this situation. So first question, would you even open this hand in this situation? In a, in a six-handed cash game against great players? No. Yes. No, I would fold that. Me, me too. But according to this program, these are the type of hands I should be opening. And so, you know, I when I said car loose, I thought I was being exploitable. But apparently in certain spots, I'm not even loose enough. So this is one of the things I've learned over the past, um, I guess it's been like a year when I've kind of like dipped my, like the past year I've kind of like dipped my toe into um, GTO more and I'm kind of like really cranking it up the last um, couple of months. Um, so yeah, this is definitely an open. Um, now I'm a little even, confused though, Carlos, because a moment ago I, I thought you said that you've never been interested in cash games. And now are we going through an actual cash game hand or is this more like something you're doing like uh, for part of your education? Uh, Part of my education. So it's a cash. So this program is um, it's like a cash. It's a simulated cash game. Okay, so this isn't really a hand you play. Exactly. This is a okay. Yeah, I'm a little slow. (laughs) All right. It's it's kind of like like you might you might be more familiar with um, Poker Snowy. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like playing against poker snow. Oh, okay. So you didn't yeah. really play this hand, but this is like if all your opponents are playing GTO, yes. how, how close can you come? So, yeah, I already made a mistake because I'm folding at a tough table. I mean, I would open that hand gladly in a cash game that where I felt like I was one of the better players. But, you know, the table you described, I would never want to play that hand. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. But, you know, this is something we got to work on. Okay. If we want to get if we want to get better. All right. So we open um, for just above a min raise and big blind defends. And the flop is 10, 9, 8 with the 10 of spades, 10, 9, 8 rainbow with the 10 of spades. We have king seven of spades. Okay. So he's going to check to us every time. Yep. And so is this a C bet spot? Well, yes. 
It gives yeah. us three options. So it, it kind of holds our hand of it. At least it gives us, it's multiple choice. Right. <laughs> uh, but that you'll find that that doesn't always help very much. Uh, we can either check CBET quarter pot or CBET um, three quarters pot, 75%. Okay. So we don't have anything yet, but we have a, a hand that has a, a lot of potential, right? We're open-ended to yeah. like the low end of the straight. We got a backdoor second nut flush draw. We yeah. Got part. Yeah. So we got some stuff going on, uh, and we'd like to be able to bet when we have a hand like Pocket Kings. And in those situations, I think I might bet big because it is such a draw-heavy board. So I'm going to go with the three-quarter pot C bet here. How wrong am I? <laughs> I agree with that. So... We bet three quarters pot, we get called, and we don't get our answer until the end. Oh, okay, cool, cool. All right, so we have to go okay. through the hand and make all our mistakes, and then the and then the computer tells you how bad you are at poker. Exactly. Okay, got it, got it. So, this is fun. All right, cool. <laughs> yes, so the turn card is the eight of spades, and our opponent decides to lead. Okay. So, a reminder, the board was 10-9-8, and now the 8 has paired, which also gave us a flush draw. Exactly. Right. And he leads 30% of the pot. So, he's betting four and a half bigs into a pot of around 19 bigs, and we both have around 50 bigs behind. Okay. So, the options? The options are full, call, raise to four. 4x his bet, which is 17 and a half bigs, or jam for 53 bigs. Well, you know, I can't imagine that jamming is unprofitable. I think jamming is probably a plus EV, but I just don't know if it's better than calling. Uh, I think yeah. folding is out of the question, and I don't see the point of raising to some pot committing amount. Like what was the the, the other option? We raised four so, x. So, yeah, I wouldn't do the four x and I wouldn't fold. I'm kind of torn between calling. This is how I took the SAT too. I eliminate <laughs> I eliminate two that I'm sure are wrong or that I'm pretty sure I think are wrong, and then try to boil it down to my two favorites and and decide between them. I'm gonna go a, with call. As a former math teacher, I would say that is the correct strategy when you're taking tests. <laughs> I would thank spend, you. I would spend months during the school year trying to teach the material to the kids. And then we would get out like a, a month out before they had to take the end of the year test. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, if you haven't learned this stuff by now, let me just teach you test taking strategies. Yeah, this is your, it's your only hope. <laughs> Game theory for test takers. Yeah, GTO. Yeah, there's going to be two that are wrong and then there's two that are close, but one that's a little better. So I think that calling is slightly better than shoving, but I bet the EV of both is not that far off. And it will tell us that at the end. It will. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it will tell us, you know, all the the value of all the options. Um, yeah, I'm on board with a call a call here also. All right. So we call, and the river is the deuce of spades. So we hit our flush, and our opponent leads again. For 20 bigs into a pot of 43 bigs. And what do we have behind? Um, we have 49 behind. Okay. And he has 29 behind after betting here. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what the options are going to be, but I'm just going to put it in. It's Call a cash it. game. I'm a shoving. It's a cash game. Uh, he could have a worse flush. He could have a straight. Uh, it's just. Maybe he's got the only flush that beats ours, or maybe he made a full house or better. But I think we can get action from worse if we shove a lot. I, I agree. So we stick it in. Villain falls. And the computer tells us that our play was good. Okay. All right. Woohoo. <laughs> Don't get too happy. <laughs> it was good. It wasn't that good, though. <laughs> a good, a good is like a. A good is like a C. Oh, okay. that's not good to me. All right. No, that's what not we so want, good. What we want is excellent. Yeah, <laughs> excellent no. is hard to come by. Okay. But 
it's so hard to come by that I'm just happy that we faded the dreaded blunder. Blunder, yeah, no blunder. Okay, all right. Yeah, so it actually scores you. So we got 16 out of a possible um, 28 points. So if we look at the evaluation, it'll tell us that our first mistake was the big bet on the flop. Okay. On the flop, it says we should have bet quarter pot here. Now, that confuses me because a 10-9-8 board, I imagine that board is pretty dynamic. And I, my understanding, if you're going to bet on that sort of board, you, you should use a big sizing. Is that kind of what you were thinking when you wanted to go for the bigger bet here? Yeah, I mean, I just try to think. Yeah, we're basically semi-bluffing, right? We have king high. We have a lot of potential, but we at the moment we have king high. Uh, I just thought to myself, like, what if I had pocket kings or pocket aces? Um, because it's easier to get action. Like, normally we like to do really small sizing on our C-bets because it's hard to get action when you're trying to get, like, third pair to call you mm-hmm. or something. So you want to size down so that you can get action from a worse one pair hand when you have the over pair, right? So that's kind of the philosophy, as I understand it, behind making that small C-bet on the flop and then likewise you know the reverse of that is you want to make that same bet when you're bluffing because that way you're balanced right some of the sometimes it's a bluff and some of the time it's it's you're trying to get called by worse so because there's so many worse hands that can call a big bet like if somebody has like jack 10 and i have pocket kings there's just so many like any kind of like pair and a straight draw would probably even call a bigger bet than three quarters pot but that was the biggest option they offered, so that's one I took. So yeah, I'm a little confused about that. So yeah, do they tell you yeah. why it should be quarter pot? See, that's what I was. That's what I was gonna say. That's the problem with Poker Snowy, and it's the problem with DTL. They always tell you what they think a solver would do, but it doesn't tell you the why, and that's okay. the most important part. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, because the computers are still limited when it comes to that aspect of it that's kind of like our job is to try to figure out the why as humans and we're not great at that yeah so so that's what i'm going to try to do between now and the wsop starting at the end of september is learn all these plays and try to figure out the why so i'm still kind of clueless on why we're betting small on a dynamic board because what i have learned is that in general when you bet on a dynamic board like this, when you should use a bigger size. So uh, also another thing that you'll probably know if you've um, studied some GTO stuff, damn near everything is a mix. So when I say that you don't bet big here, that's not 100% true. You use this sizing 10% of the time. Right. You use the smaller sizing 85% of the time and you check 5% of the time. But the way I kind of go through this thing is whatever percentage is the biggest, for now I'm just kind of like treating that as the correct answer until I can, you know, get better at this whole thing. Yeah, well, in practice, trying to practice GTO without a randomizer or, or a, you know, real-time assistance of some kind, uh, the ones that you're supposed to do 5% of the time or 10% of the time or yeah. less, it, it, you just generally don't don't try to do those things at all. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. In practice, like, yeah, theoretically, you should occasionally do this other off-the-wall thing just to mix up your play, yada, yada. But, yeah, like, when you're really sitting there, like, you're not going to worry about, well, what would the solver say I'm supposed to do 0.2% of the time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we, um, bet the, we made the big bet, which was our first mistake. And then on the turn when Villain led, we called. Now, that call... In reality, it's only supposed to happen 38% of the time. We should be raising four times as bet 62% of the time. Yeah, and that was my least favorite option of all because I don't understand that. Like, what are we trying to do? We're basically getting pot committed with a draw. We're never folding, right? Once you make that big raise, you're not going to fold. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Why not just shove? I don't understand. Oh, and then shoving never happens. So, so let me show you the percent. I mean, the um, point values. Yeah. So, so the call earns us eight points. 
Raising would have earned us 13 points. Jamming would have lost us 10 points. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the, it's, it's fun to try to, like, figure out why this stuff is the case. So, but that's the hard part. It's the hard part. Well, so, I mean, I guess part of the answer, not all, not the whole answer, but part of the answer is the shove can't get called by worse, right? Yeah. But that's okay because... I'm not trying to get called. I have King High. You know, I don't know. It's uh, the other half of that is you're always the shove is always getting called by a full house, right? Or, or quads, obviously. Yeah, this is a hard game, man. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> not like why, <laughs> this is why I've avoided this for so long, and this is why I was like when I go through stuff like this. This this thought crossed my mind the other day. Man, I'm so glad that solvers didn't exist in 2013. <laughs> I'm sorry, 2003. Because yeah. when I picked up uh, poker and I read Harrington on Hold'em, I thought to myself, eh, I could do this. I could do this, yeah. yeah. But if you dropped me into poker for the first time today and you showed me a PL solver output and told me this is what you need to succeed in this game, I would not even try. <laughs> but because I've had like a decade, uh, uh, damn, I'm getting old, almost two decades of su- success now, I know that, you know, this is a struggle, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but man, I feel sorry for like the barrier to entry in poker, I think is so much harder because of, you know, um, because the game, the strategy part of the game has advanced so much. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think that uh, people are putting in the work. A lot of people are putting in the work. And it kind of in the early days, the boom, if you will, the moneymaker boom, mid-2000s, uh, people were having fun and trying to imitate their heroes from television but not this work wasn't even available. Like you mentioned, like solvers weren't even around back then, and training sites didn't even come along for a few years. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it it was it was different then when we were all kind of figuring out the game at the same time, reading the same books and and figuring out the game together, as opposed to now where some people that are just joining now, there are people that are so good at this game and understand it so perfectly mathematically from a theoretical perspective that if those people can just keep their emotions under control, they're going to kill us. Yeah. Like we, like you and I, when we started with poker, we put in the work. The work was just easier back then. Uh, Imagine if you just learned the hand rankings and you go from having to learn the hand rankings to figuring out why this thing wants to bet quarter pot instead of three quarters pot on the flop. It seems like it's damn near impossible, but for the young people who are getting into the game now, um, who figure it out, you know, they're going to have much more success than you and I did, but there's just going to be fewer people that figure it out. So, um, luckily, yeah, luckily there's still soft games around where you don't have to know this stuff to, um, to win. Uh, remember what I said that, you know, I don't think about any of this stuff. When I'm playing on ignition, even in the thousand dollar games on ignition. But if I want to like go to Europe one day and compete in some one hundred dollar daily, I think I might have to know this stuff. Yeah, it's because cool. they're playing at a higher level than than obviously what your typical competition is on because ignition. Of Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, this whole this whole. Um, episode is basically a commercial for Wyndham Hotels and Ignition Poker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so what happened here? We uh, we were supposed to raise the term, but we called. So we're 0 for 2 so far. Yeah. Uh, this got to make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> we got the river right. When okay. They, when, when they bet into you and we you shove, have yeah. a flush, you jam. And that earned us four points. Okay. So like I said, what I've learned with this thing is uh, understand that you're human. You're just getting started with this thing. So that good, which I would kind of equate to a C, 
is actually good enough for me now. I kind of feel like if you were to drop me into a college calculus class right now and I came out with a C, I'd be pretty happy about that. You'd be happy with that, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what the level this is. I mean, this is like college level. You know, you're trying to learn how to think like a solver, and the way solvers work, as I understand it, is they simulate over and over and get better and better at the game. That's kind of like the version of artificial intelligence that's that's still being used is that the solver itself is coming to these conclusions by running it over and over and trying to beat itself, at least how Snowy works. Yes, yes, the uh, neural net, I think yeah. is what things are called. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah. it's like I'm getting better because of my mistakes. That's the computer talking. So then it's uh, sharing with you the uh, the conclusions without being able to, at least at this point, share the rationale or the reasoning behind it. Exactly. Just, this is this is the way it is. Now you figure out why I'm telling you, you got to see. <laughs> exactly. So what I do is I just like go through this thing several times and I'll save some hands that like that one we just did. That one confuses me so much that I'm going to save it and then like talk to Andrew about it because he wrote a book on this shit. So he should be able to answer this question for me. Yeah. I mean, my version of solver work is, you know, I tinker around with mine at home, basically on hands that I'm not sure I played well or not. You know, I give it a reasonable menu of options of what each player can do. And then I figure out how, how far off I was or whether I made a, a reasonable play or not. Um, from a theory standpoint and then the other half of my solver work is watching all of Andrew's TPE videos where he goes through things using Pio and also of course you know reading and rereading his two books all of our listeners know that I am like the greatest Andrew Brokus fanboy in the world <laughs> <laughs> which allows me to segue into giving you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit about kind of the work that you and Andrew have been doing together in the last few months yeah so this was pretty exciting for me so this all started i guess around september of last year or maybe maybe a little bit earlier than that but um as all the listeners know a pretty big thing happened last year um the entire world was shut down by a pandemic and during that time andrew who is I would say, I don't even know what the time period is now, but he started with online poker, I believe. He did. And then he transitioned to like, uh, you know, basically a live cash game player. And so his um, bread and butter games were shut down. So he had to go back after five or 10 years or whatever. Oh, it would have been Black Friday. So 10 years um, since he put in a lot of volume playing online. And so... He was a little bit um, out of practice when it came to the online American tournaments, um, especially at the um, smaller buy-in levels um, where he was uh, – because like you, he doesn't have access to Ignition. And so he was, you know – messing around on some of the other sites like, you know, ACR. And at the highest levels on that site, it's almost like playing in Europe not even worth it um and at the smallest levels if you haven't played in these games in a decade they're going to be different than they were a decade ago um so he actually came to me for coaching which was uh an honor because you know he was one of my first coaches and we did a program a um a product when he was trying to teach me cash games um all those years ago called coaching carlos and so we kind of had like a role reversal where now it's Carlos coaching Andrew um, on how to beat, you know, small stakes American tournaments because I had more experience, more recent experience in that than he did. And so we basically recorded um, that coaching session of me reviewing one of his small stakes ACR hand histories. And we called it Ex Exploiting Small Stakes Tournaments. That's the other thing. Um, 
Andrew's recent experiences writing Play Optimal Poker. So he's really had his um, nose to the GTO grindstone for the past couple of years. So to go from that to trying to exploit, you know, players in $20, $30 tournaments that he hadn't played in 10 years, he was like kind of, you know, he needed some guidance on exactly how exploitable are these people. So that's what that pro what that product is about. Um, it's called Exploiting Small Stakes Tournaments. You can get it on nickcast.com, which is the Thinking Poker Podcast store. Um, I think, do you do links on this show? I can't remember now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can put something in the show notes at least. Yes. So we can get a link for that. Um, so that's basically a hand history review with Andrew. And then I also worked um, with Alex Fitzgerald assassinato in the same way and we made a separate product which is called how to obliterate passive tournaments (laughs) (laughs) his word not mine I love it (laughs) yeah it is basically the same thing except this one is done in classroom style classroom and um, quiz style where you get kind of like the hand that we just went over where we drop you into one of these passive tournaments like on ignition and, and um, you know, ask you like, what's the most exploitable thing you can do to, um, to beat this player in this hand. And we give you um, it's classroom style and like test quizzes at the end. Um, and, um, so those two things were done, I think, at one at the end of last year, one at the beginning of this year. And so they've been out for a while. But the thing that's like fresh right now is the podcast Thinking Poker Daily, which is a Patreon podcast that's hosted by myself, Andrew and Nate from the Thinking Poker podcast. And we just get together and discuss strategy hands that are submitted by the subscribers. So if you listen to the Thinking Poker podcast and you like the strategy segments, um, this is just like daily strategy segments. And so that's something that I'm dealing with every day. I'm actually the administrator now. So I'm, I decide which episodes come out and, you know, get the editing done and type up the show notes and all that kind of thing. So um, now you're doing yeah. all that from the comfort of your Prius. Yes, either <laughs> my Prius or when I really want to splurge. The Super the 8. Super 8. <laughs> the Super 8. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you used a term earlier that kind of made me chuckle when you said things have come full circle. But to me, you coaching Andrew, that's full circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the biggest full circle. That, that <laughs> we were actually going to call the product Coaching Andrew at first, but then we decided, like, you know, if people don't um, know me, um, if somebody was just in the store and they just saw something called Coaching Andrew, they really it wouldn't grab their attention. Like, right. Uh, the name we chose was, like, really specific but also really long. Exploiting small stakes tournaments, premium um, something video. I can't remember the right, name, right, right. But it's more specific. It's probably yeah. good for um, Google AdWords. Yeah, and people are trying to find something in particular and might not know the whole backstory of you. But that uh, you know, I remember when you guys first put out coaching Carlos. Yeah, uh, I remember that, and you know, listening to you basically say that you would do the nittiest thing on every. <laughs> every street more or less and then them helping you learn to to open up your game a little bit and be more aggressive at times and and things like that and then you know just watching how your career has gone so well for you and i remember how excited you were the first time you played the main event and uh you know just everything that that has happened for you really starting at the bottom with tpe and putting in the work as you say you know putting in the work back then might not be the same as it is today but either way it was work and you did that work and uh you're one of my favorite poker stories and the fact that you still spend so much time in a vehicle is also kind of cool yeah it's awesome yeah (laughs) that's always gonna be the case yes yeah now what about twitch are you on twitch are you still twitching I still have a twitch account um I haven't streamed in years man um I've been looking um that's not true. I was gonna say I've been looking for reasons to stream, 
That's not true. I didn't really like streaming a ton towards the end of my streaming career. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on Twitch, but Twitch chat is kind of weird. And so sometimes people get in there with some weird comments. And like for people that know me, I'm an introvert at heart. And when I have a guy that's coming in every day asking me if my poop, if I pooped yet, Mm, that's yeah. not something I want to be doing very often. So yeah. <laughs> instead of saying I've been looking for reasons to get back uh, on Twitch, what I should say is my po- I, I'm also coaching right now. So my coaching students have been like urging me to get back on Twitch. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. So if um, anything, you don't enjoy it, but you feel like it would be good for your students and for your coaching business in general, but if you don't enjoy it, you know, my advice is is not to do it. I don't know how good I would be at playing the game and also interacting with the fans, though. That would be hard for me because yeah. I like to really concentrate when I'm playing. So that so, might, might be distracting. Yeah, if there was a way to do Twitch without answering weird questions in chat, <laughs> I think I could do that. And um, you're right. It just kind of takes away from your focus a little bit. So kudos to the ones that can do it. The ones that can play in the toughest games at the highest buy-ins and be entertaining at the same time, um, my hat's off to them because I was twitching when, like, kind of before it was cool. And I was gathering – I was getting viewers for other things besides high-level poker and – entertainment from me person like you know i wasn't the entertainment i would bring entertainment to people like in the form of like i actually had a giraffe on my twitch stream did you know that <laughs> i don't know that story tell us real quick about that giraffe before we gotta <laughs> before we have to wrap this up i, I, I can't not ask you about the rap you can't put a giraffe out there and not expect a follow-up so tell us about the giraffe <laughs> what the hell i had a real life giraffe on my Twitch stream. <laughs> okay. Because in 2015, when I started streaming, I just bought the van and I started off on a trip through Florida. So I drove down the west coast of Florida, all the way to the bottom, back up to the back up the east coast, and just hit every casino along the way and kind of like documented my journey as this traveling homeless poker player who lives in this van and twitches. I would do my Twitch streams from the van on the way back up through Georgia. There's this place called wild animal safari. And you basically can drive your vehicle through the safari and like feed random. Like there's a bison, there's like ostriches, just a bunch of wild animals that you can feed. And a, a giraffe was one of them. So I drove through the safari feeding animals um, <laughs> while a replay of, of my $27,000 win um, in the Bavada Major from 2015 was streaming um, on the other side. I had th- like a three-camera setup in my van pointing out various windows. It was super fun. That video is still available on Twitch. I'll get you the link to that, too. Yeah, I want that for sure. Wow, man, this is great. This is great. Well, Carlos, if people want to get in touch, are you on Twitter? Do you uh, do you want people to email you? I'm sure that some of our listeners might want to contact you directly for different reasons. Um, Twitter is the best way. Um, my Twitter handle is hiphop101trivia. Um, if you want coaching, there's a link in the... Um, on your the, Twitter uh, profile. All right. Yes. There's a link there for coaching, and my DMs are open as well. Awesome. Well, it's really great to catch up with you. Uh, thank you for sharing the uh, giraffe story. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing your uh, SAT quiz on my uh, <laughs> cash game against five killer opponents, GTO strategy. Yeah, just uh, thanks for, for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me, Clayton. Absolutely. So for Carlos Welch and for every giraffe in Georgia and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Hold them 
love Hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart Show her 